So I am a big fan of random studies and random surveys that are done. And uh, there's this one that I saw this last week. It's from several years ago. But the uh, Princeton University did a, an online survey several years ago trying to see how people felt about specific professions. So what they did is they chose 42 different professions and they laid them all out and they, they sent it out to these surveyors who, who took the, the survey online. And what they were rating each profession on was competency and warmth or trustworthiness. So uh, they, they could say, well, this specific profession, it, it requires a lot of competence, but maybe they're not known for much warmth or maybe I don't trust them very much. And so they, they collected all those results and then what they did is they put, put it together on a scatter plot. You know what a scatter plot is? <laughs> so a scatter plot is it's like a graph except rather than having bars or rather than being like a pie chart. Um, it's, it's a graph with an x-axis and a y-axis and each of the different things are like plotted out as little dots. So on the x-axis was competency. So as you moved from your left to right, it went from less competent to more competent. And then the y-axis was about uh, warmth or trustworthiness. And so it went from less trustworthy to more trustworthy. And all of these 40 different, 42 different professions were put somewhere on the scatter plot. And as you can imagine, there are like uh, groupings of different things throughout uh, the scatter plot. On the bottom, uh, bottom left, there is the least competent. Again, this is the perceived least competent and perceived uh, least trustworthy. These were a lot of like blue collar service type jobs. Pretty unfair, actually, some of them, but this is like the public perception of them. So that is the one corner, least competent, least trustworthy. Then on the other end, opposite corner, there was high competence and high trustworthiness. And up here are like um, nurses and teachers and doctors are a little bit lower on the trustworthiness, but high competency, okay? Well, at the exact bottom of that, right below that, in the bottom right, there's high competency, but low warmth or low trustworthiness. And again, as you look at the scatter plot, there's a lot of different groupings. There is one, however, that is like, all out on its own. It is an outlier in high competence, low trustworthiness. Anyone want to guess what that profession was? Lawyer. <laughs> you knew it. You knew it immediately. Lawyer. Do we have any lawyers out here? Okay. I know we have some in our Woodbury congregation. Not out here, though. Um, we don't have any lawyers out here. There are probably feelings around lawyers, though. Um, some perceptions around lawyers that you might have. If you don't have them, clearly the general public has strong feelings about lawyers, right? Uh, and yet there are also outliers. So the lawyers are an outlier in this scatter plot and in this survey, but there are also outliers of the outliers that say, all right, well, maybe this is a high competency field, but there are people who can be trusted within it. And uh, I would argue that one of the people that is within that category of an outlier to an outlier is a guy named Brian Stevenson. Anybody familiar with Brian Stevenson or the book or movie Just Mercy? So uh, Brian Stevenson is a lawyer. He is a very, uh, very competent lawyer, uh, highly skilled, 
could be doing many, many different things, and lawyers might get in the profession for a number of different reasons. They might want to make a difference in the world. They might want to uh, defend people or uh, uh, prosecute uh, people who, who need to be brought to justice. Uh, they, might be, uh, they might be in it for the money or for the glory or whatever. Uh, but Brian Stevenson, rather than defending the people who are or, uh, going for the rights of the people who have, have been wronged, Brian Stevenson has decided to give his life largely to uh, providing help for people who have done wrong, which is strange, right? So in 1989, Brian Stevenson in Montgomery, Alabama, started what's known now as the Equal Justice Initiative. And uh, this, is the, uh, this is the goal of the Equal Justice Initiative. They say that uh, their purpose is to uh, end mass incarceration and excessive punishment in the United States, to challenge racial and economic injustice, and to protect basic human rights for the most vulnerable people in American society. So part of, part of the work that they do is overturning wrongful convictions, especially in the South. Um, but much of their work is actually focused on the treatment of people who have actually done the wrong. So their work fights against poor prison conditions, excessive punishment, children in adult prisons, and the death penalty. They have won reversals, relief, or release for 135 death row prisoners, and he himself has won five cases before the Supreme Court. Now, again, you might be wondering, why? Why, with someone who has both high competency and high trust, why has he dedicated himself to this type of mission? And the reason is that he has a really good grasp on grace. He has a really good understanding of the grace of God and what that requires for us as human beings as well, who understand and grasp that grace and who that grace ought to be extended to. This is what Brian Stevenson says. Mercy is most empowering, liberating, and transformative when it's directed at the undeserving, the people who haven't earned it, who haven't even sought it, and the most meaningful recipients of our compassion. This month, this past it's four weeks now, we have been doing this series called Splash, uh, exploring the depths of God's grace at the bottom of the sea. And we've, de- we've defined God's grace as the unending, undeserved, unbelievable love of God. And we have been trying to get at this and try to understand it through the story of Jonah, written in the book of Jonah, which is a, appears in our Old Testament in the first half of our Bible. This is a story that isn't necessarily supposed to be taken literally because it's a story that we're supposed to see ourselves within. It's not a story that happened, but it is one that happens and often happens to us as well. So the first week we hear about this this man named Jonah. He was a prophet and prophets are supposed to hear this message from God, go to this place that they're being sent and deliver this message from God. Jonah hears this message, he gets up, and rather than going in one direction, he turns heel and goes the exact exact opposite direction because he does not want to go to this place called Nineveh. He does not want to deliver this message. The grace of God is just for his people, not for those people. He's not going to do it. The second week, we talked about uh, his, his running and his inability to run, and he finds himself on a boat, and this huge storm comes up. It is about to tear uh, itself apart because the storm is so strong. 
And Jonah ends up taking the blame on himself and placing it on God and saying, listen, all you got to do is throw me overboard and then everything's going to be fine. Essentially, he's continuing to run away from his calling. So they throw him overboard and things stop and settle down. Where we last left our anti-hero is he was going all the way down to the depths of the ocean or uh, the depths of the sea, or in the, the ancient cosmology, he was on his way to hell. He found himself all the way in hell, and it's at the very depths of hell when he realizes that he has this need. And in that moment, he cries out to God. God is there listening, delivers him by swallowing, up, uh, swallowing him up in this giant fish. Uh, the, the trip back from hell takes three days and three nights, and finally he is disgorged, he's thrown up, he's given new life and rebirth and a new opportunity to do different going forward. And that's where we pick up the story in Jonah verses, uh, chapter 3. Uh, again, just ten short verses. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human beings or animals, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change their mind. God may turn from their fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God's mind was changed about the calamity that God had said would be brought upon them, and God did not do it. I live in a household with three young girls. There can be a lot of drama in our house. Oh my goodness, it does not compare to the drama that is happening in these 10 verses. There's so much drama. So first there is the drama of what God says to Jonah and what Jonah is going to do. Then there is the drama of what Jonah goes and does and says. And then there's the drama of what the people of Nineveh do when they hear what Jonah says. So again, it starts out with uh, the, the word of God to Jonah. It is almost word for word what happens in that first chapter. The word of God comes to Jonah, says, get up, go to Nineveh, and deliver this message. The only difference is that God's judgment is cut off of that message. He is simply told, go and deliver this message that I told you. So there's this open question of, Jonah has clearly not wanted to do this. What is he going to do now? And fortunately, the story gets to continue. <laughs> he gets up, and rather than turning heel, he goes and does the thing that he is supposed to do in the first place. First crisis averted. Okay, so that's the first piece of drama. The second piece of drama, 
what Jonah does and says when he arrives there. So Jonah goes to Nineveh. He goes to this city that's full of his enemies. And he gives this impassioned sermon that hopefully will have some sort of response. We'll get to next week what we think his hopeful response was. But he gives this sermon in order to elicit some sort of response, maybe. Uh, I actually, I don't know how long you, you feel my sermons are, if they're too long or whatever. I usually keep it to about 20 minutes. Some people go 45. Jonah's sermon was five words. Eight words in English, but five words in the original language. And it's like really direct and really clear. He says, once again... Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overturned. There is no, if you change your ways, then this will happen. It is straight and to the point. Five words, 40 days more, Nineveh overthrown. That's it. Okay, maybe crisis is not averted for Nineveh. So then there's the third piece, the drama of what on earth the people of Nineveh are going to do. When they hear this, they go full dramatic. From the king to the commoners to the cows, all of them are instructed to take sackcloth, which is like this, this mourning garment, cover themselves, again, all the way to the livestock. They are uh, supposed to fast. They are supposed to cry out to God in hopes that their repentance, their their uh, they're actively turning away and uh, saying that the things that they have done in the past are wrong will somehow elicit a, re- a different kind of response from God. That there will be a but in that is added to Jonah's sermon. Again, this seems like super dramatic, right? All the way down to the all the way down to the cows, all the way down to the livestock. And yet for Jonah and the original readers, this would have been entirely familiar because this is the type of mourning exercises that they were supposed to do. These were pulled directly from Jonah's people. When they realized that they had done something wrong, the people of Israel did not just say sorry. They did acts of repentance to show that they were sorry. They, they expressed it with their words, but then they did things physically to show that they understood what they had done and that they were going to do differently going forward. The people of Nineveh look at their hands. They realize that there's blood on their hands and say, we got to get these clean and we got to make sure that this never happens again. Super dramatic, right? But it would have been anticipated. Well, there is one more piece of drama that's kind of hanging out there. Because none of this drama competes with the drama that might follow of how is God going to respond to all of this? How is God going to respond to this act of the people of Nineveh and what they have done to say that they're sorry and show that they're sorry and show that they uh, understand the grace that's out there in front of them? Well, their hopes come true because rather than this calamity coming on them, Uh, We're told that God sees what they have done, sees what they are saying, sees what they are doing, and God changes God's mind and does not do this thing. So here's a question. Was Jonah's prophecy wrong? Five words. Forty days more, Nineveh overthrown. 
Was Jonah's prophecy wrong? I'm going to say no. And here's why. Once again, this is not supposed to be a story of something that literally happened. So often the, the writers of the Bible use uh, are pretty poetic language. They, they get a little free and loose with the language that they use. This is especially in the case of a story that's not literal. And so authors sometimes like play with words a little bit. Uh, this word overthrown, Nineveh, 40 days, overthrown. Overthrown can also mean overturn or turned over. So clearly, Nineveh is not destroyed. God does not come down and like completely wipe them off the map as they might have expected or maybe even as Jonah was expecting or as we'll see next week, hoping. But Nineveh's overturned pretty dramatically, right? They've seen the things that they've done. They've understood the things that they've done. They've also understood the depths of God's grace that is out there for them and they have shifted, they have turned, they have uh, been overturned in response to God's grace, knowing that they ought to do differently going forward. It's, it's really interesting that this is actually something that comes up repeatedly in the Bible. And this is like a constant debate. This is a constant piece of drama that unfolds in the first half of the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. Uh, much of it is this story of there's God's people and then there's everybody else. And God's people, their job is to stay distinct, to do these distinct things because they are the ones that are included in the grace of God. And yet there are, are these flashpoints these stories that kind of interject that say, no, actually it's a little bit broader than that. Actually, the grace of God is a little bit more expansive or quite a bit more expansive. How we define God's people needs to be bigger and more vibrant and more full. And so there are these stories, these books, like the book of Jonah, not Jonah the character, but the book of Jonah, that say you need to think broader. Maybe the grace of God that you have experienced for yourself is not just for you. Maybe it is also for those other people. Maybe it is even and especially for the people who you deem as undeserving. Maybe they are the ones that will understand the depths of God's grace even more than you could possibly understand. And this kind of comes to a flashpoint, the ultimate flashpoint in this guy that you may have heard of called Jesus who shows up on the scene and completely blows the thing up and says, you have no idea about the depths of God's grace and the expansiveness of God's grace, the unending, undeserved, unbelievable grace of God. The, the last couple of weeks we've talked about this grace being like the experience or the different experiences of you being out on a trail, right? And there's this prevenient grace of God, which is the experience of God being out in front of us and saying, Come on, buddy, you're doing great. There's even better things out in front of you. Last week, we talked about justifying grace, which is like us being on this, this trail, and there's a, almost like a cliff up ahead, and God is at the top reaching out and saying, you need me, you need this. Grab my hand and come up. And yet there tends to be, even in the Bible itself, this worry, this concern for what will happen when God looks back and sees who's reaching up and coils. Not you. Jesus gives this answer of not just offering the one hand, but offering two hands out. And of course, nowhere that's more apparent than on the cross where he literally puts two arms out saying, who is this grace for? This grace is for anyone and everyone who 
will reach out and to accept it. So what that means is that it does not matter who you are or what you've done. It does not matter your uh, tribe. It does not matter, matter your race. It does not matter your religious background. It does not matter your gender identity. It does not matter your sexuality. It does not matter your ability. It does, it does not matter whether you are a anti-hero, whether you are a prophet, whether you are a... Uh, a Ninevite, whether you are an enemy, whether you are a murderer, whether you are a lawyer. All of us are included within that unending, undeserved, unbelievable love of God. So may we be the type of people who understand that for ourselves. No matter what you've done or, or who you are or where you have come from, the grace of God is available for you and is reaching out. And may we also extend that grace to anyone and anyone, anyone and everyone who we might come across as well.